All right. right. Coffee All right. is theology. <laughs> yes. Coffee is theology. Um, Wednesday, May 11th. Um, we are going to explore together. We are going to create. We are going to make the airplane while we fly it. We are going to create a compassion episode. So compassion, the very meaning of the word is to be with pain. To be with pain. So come is with. Sort of like chili con carne, only it's compassion, but chili with meat. So um, yeah, so compassion. So the passion of the Christ is the pain of the Christ, the passion. So to be compassionate is to be with someone's pain, to be with them. And uh, one of the most agreed upon attributes in fields of theology about God is God's compassion. And it's one of the most disagreed upon attributes of God. The discussion is around, is God transcendent? Is God outside of the system? Is God outside looking in on us? Or is God eminent? Is God involved and inside of us and in this with us? Is God, in a sense, on the ground with us? Or is God Bette Midler's song, Watching Us, transcendent? God is transcendent. So you kind of get the, uh, the argument there among people that discuss theology all the time. Is this God out there that we're praying to a God that's outside? Did God start this whole thing and then watch us to see what we do with it? Or is God inside and involved um, with us? I want to read a short text to you from an article that um, has been really sitting with me this week. Um, about compassion, the power of compassion by Wendy Farley, F-A-R-L-E-Y. I don't know anything about Wendy Farley except for what I've read in this um, article. Uh, the name of the article is Evil, Violence, and the Practice of Theodicy. Um, and you heard me right, it's not theology, but theodicy. And theodicy is a word about how do we um, imagine theology in the face of evil, in the face of injustice, in the face of oppression. And so how do we keep a commitment to an imagination of a compassionate God in the face of things we can't explain? Um, which I am looking at faces right now and imagining your daily life. And what I know about each one of you is that you face a tremendous amount of pain and injustice and evil on a daily basis and things that we cannot explain that happen. And so how do we maintain 
a sense or an imagination of compassion um, in the face of these unexplainable things. So let's just dive in. I'm going to definitely give you a chance to communicate with me. This is not me teaching um, this session, but I definitely want to facilitate a conversation. The name for this paradoxical, infinitely varied, infinitely patient power is compassion. Compassion, writes Wendy Farley, is the power that ignites the beauty of a soul after suffering has snuffed it out. I want to say that one more time. I just, I love that definition. Compassion is the power that ignites the beauty of a soul after suffering has snuffed it out. I, I know I'm supposed to read beyond that, but that one definition right there for me um, could sum up everything we're doing as a community. Everything we're doing as a community in our own private sectors, in our work, and in our community as a church, that one statement is the thing that can change and redeem all of us. We sometimes um, dilute the word compassion and say hospitality. We sometimes dilute compassion and say um, attentive listening or presence, the power of presence or the ministry of presence. But something about compassion, Wendy Farley goes on to say, so the compassion is the power that ignites the beauty of a soul after suffering has snuffed it out. Compassion is the kind of power that works on spirit and not on matter. It is not important. It is not, so excuse me, it is not an impotent emotion of pity or even sympathy. Oh my God, Eve, are you hearing this? Hank, are you hearing this? It is not an impotent emotion of pity or sympathy. Oh my God, everybody, every one of us that is working in the healthcare or service industry, you know, working with people. I love that she said that, that it's, that it doesn't just, it doesn't just stop with I'm empathetic or I'm sympathetic or I, I, or I'm pity. I have this pity for you. Who no. And, and I love that she said it's, a, that it's not an impotent emotion. It is not only companionship in misery, which is what we started with, which is like the actual definition of the term, companionship, compassion, companionship in, in misery. It is the name of the kind of power, the only kind of power that redeems. The only kind of power that redeems. When we hear about the power of God, what are we talking about? This writer endeavors to break it down and say, it is compassion. That is the power of God. That is what we mean when we need God's power. When we think of the destructiveness of violence, the importance of conceiving of compassion as the most definitive attribute or characteristic of God becomes clearer. I do not mean that theology is psychology or even ethical pragmatism. I do not mean that because victims of violence need a compassionate God, that theologians should be glad to provide that model along with all the others. 
I mean, Wendy Farley says, that compassion names more directly the most than most other terms the way that God's power is manifest. Compassion is not one of the moods of our moody cosmic parent. It is not a feeling God has about sufferers. It is the kind of power that God exercises in the world. The power of compassion is the most real thing in the world, the signature of ultimate reality, and the name that truth bears in its active aspect. If we understand this, not in our heads, but in our bones, We will talk about God differently. We will interpret our scriptures differently and relate to victims and perpetrators of violence differently. Compassion vitiates neat divisions between theory and practice. It transforms theology into a practice of compassion, even as it demands that all practice be rooted in the wisdom that discerns compassion as a signature of of reality. Suffering is one of the places where God is most intimately present. The incarnation and crucifixion tell us something deeply important about who God is and where God chooses to appear. It is in those places furthest from prosperity, furthest from fullness, furthest from beauty, furthest from honor and power that Christians have had God revealed most distinctively to them. God, source of all reality, split the heavens to come to us in a cow shed so that God could be with us. And as if the ridiculousness of being born in a manger weren't enough, God dies on a cross as loathsome, humiliating, cruel, and helpless a death as imaginable, just in case we didn't get it. As Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Moving on to say more about why God is embodied in these places of misery and how power over and power of suffering over us is very great. Moving on, and then I'll open it up. I hear the dings going. I don't see your faces because I'm looking at this page. Mm. Oh, I wanted to read this part. The events of Christ's life teach us the exact, this exact truth. God is near us, tenderly like a lover, cooing like a mother over a sick child. We learn that God violated the most basic laws of reason and reality by transforming that which is utterly and radically beyond all finite expression into a particular person. We learn that God violated the most basic rules of human value and embodied God's self in the body of a homeless baby who grew up to be a torture victim. The embodiment of divine power in these places of suffering brings transforming power where it is most needed. The story, this is this, then I'll stop and we'll open up. This story is so outrageous that even Christians don't believe it. <laughs> Yeah, talk to me. Talk to me. So, compassion, um, 
I'd like to, to get everybody's idea just like on a, on a real practical level. What, what does that look like? When, when you're being compassionate, what's, what's a scenario where that exists and where we, we are embodying that compassion and um, just maybe some real life examples of, of what that means. Um, I know Bonnie had mentioned a, a, a couple keywords, uh, sympathy, empathy, and then, and then compassion. And I've, I've heard uh, other teachers say that that's kind of like a progression that if you have sympathy for, for a person that, that means one thing that uh, you don't really uh, feel their pain, but you don't really know what they're going through either. Um, and then when you're empathetic, you kind of, you, you're there with them, but you also feel it, it's affecting you. Um, but the ultimate thing, and if you, if you listen to, uh, all the yogis or the Buddhists or, uh, the Hindis, compassion is the biggest thing in, in all of those religions. It's, it's the ultimate goal in, in all of those religions, uh, uh, is becoming a, a compassionate person. Um, so equating that with the power of God is pretty uh, in in the Christian realm is pretty cool to me. It it sort of brings everything together. Um, so we kind of know what that means. You know, so empathy is is uh, you, you feel their pain, um, but compassion is like a it transcends all of that. It uh, uh, you're you're with them, and maybe you can feel their pain, but it's not not affecting you. So you're there with with their pain. Um, but also an independent observer of, of the situation kind of at the, at the same time. Um, that's my understanding of it. And, and I love the word breakdown, uh, the compact with, with pain that made a, a lot of sense to me. Um, but I'm wondering what the hell does that look like? If you're going to say, <clears throat> well, what causes somebody to say, oh, this person was compassionate to me? What, yeah. what does it mean in a, in a practical I, I don't know. I'm asking. I, I, I'm really wanting an answer. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm sure. Yes, yes. You guys have hands raised. Go ahead. Yeah. Kelly. Um, I was going to say, like, for me, like, professionally, it looks like I just think about examples like, um, you know, my patients that I work with with cystic fibrosis, because that's really my chronic population. Um, until very recently, none of those kids were going to live a really long life. Um, and so very often I would sit with kids on their, you know, 555th admission um, while they signed their own DNR. Um, and, and that's not, that's not an experience that I'm going to experience at 22 years old. Um, but to sit with them in that place of hard and pain or help them plan their own funerals. I mean, I'm, you know, and that's compassion to me is I love that Bonnie broke that down, you know, with pain, being with someone in their place of pain. Um, Compassion is an action um, because it, it it takes action to sit in that place because it's uncomfortable. 
it's uncomfortable. You know, in my professional experience, children are not supposed to die, but they do. And so to sit with a family in that place and acknowledging how hard that is um, and being there, that's that's the professional example I can think of. On a personal level, I, I can't think of, it's harder for me to think of that on a personal level. Um, yeah, what does that look like personally? Does it look like advocating for my kids? I don't know. I don't know that that's compassion or if that's those, those children are part of my body and blood. And so is my husband. And so, of course, I would advocate for them. So I, I don't know I, that that would be compassion. Yes. Yeah, I would say it is compassion. Okay. I would absolutely say that it's compassion because compassion can be every form that human action takes on behalf of yourself or another. Mm. Every form that human action takes on your on behalf of yourself or another that in, if we wanted to get super granular, that produces a healthy outcome for all involved. Mm-hmm. Not just action for action's sake, like, I don't know, striking a pool cue and shaking things up out of your power. Okay, just for the sake of shaking up as if you're going as if your power is in your push, like I've been talking about, your power is not in your push, but it's in your position. Mm-hmm. And though you are your mom, a mom to the kids, you still acting on their behalf, you could re, re um, you could withhold. That's a, that's the opposite of that you could withhold. Mm-hmm. I I yeah. would say before the other three three four chime in, I would say that anytime we're withholding good from ourselves or others, we're not acting in compassion or in congruence with the power of God. Go ahead, uh, uh, Christine. I think you had your hand up next. Um, I think it it just my first thought of compassion is deeper than empathy or sympathy. It's um, it's in spite of your own stuff. You know, it's it's being loving and kind and sympathetic and empathetic and all of those things that um, I don't know. The I guess for me, compassion is um, forgetting yourself forgetting your stuff to surround someone with, with God's love. I, I don't know. I mean, that's in my brain, like, like, and you're blessed. You're blessed showing that compassion to someone else. Does that make sense at all? It does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. makes sense. And, I'm, and I know that that's kind of your default way of, I, I I'm hearing your, your language of like, you got to forget about yourself or put yourself down or out of it in order to enact this sort of action of compassion and giving or generosity. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. I mean, just as I mean, this, this may not make sense at all either, but, um, and I'm going to speak for, for Megan as well. I mean, I know she can't, she's at work, but, um, I'm going to speak for her as well. We had a situation, um, Monday, Monday, yeah, I think it was Monday evening, um, with their, our little one, Catherine, um, she, 
she didn't want to go to school Monday. And we're like, what? <laughs> she always wants to go to school. You know, we're so proud of her. Last night she got like, uh, you know, honor roll of the year award. And I mean, she's just, she, she's our social butterfly. She always wants to go to school, but she was so down on Monday. She didn't want to go to school. We're like, what's up? You know, you always want to go to school. Well, I just want to go to school. So come to find out, uh, Monday night, um, two things. She had an issue with one of her little friends from the weekend, from a field trip they did over the weekend. Um, but then she has another little friend that she's known forever that um, the family has invited her to do things with them and spend the night and all of that. And just through circumstances, it had never worked out. But come to find out, the friend we've extended, hey, you're, you come spend the night with us. Come do stuff with us. The friend will walk her. She lives in our huge, you know, not in our cul-de-sac, but in the neighborhood where we live. Um, the friend will walk her home from school. She's not allowed to come in our yard. We didn't know that. The friend's not allowed to spend the night at our house because of who we are. Now, we've met the mom. I've met the mom very nice lady. Hey, how are you doing? So nice to meet you to my face. But has told the daughter, you're not allowed to go to their house. You're not allowed to be in their house. You're not allowed to spend the night in their house. And it is, it, it, it took a lot for Catherine to, to tell us this. Um, and it, it hurt her heart. And so we, as her mom's, had to step out of our own hurt, <laughs> you know, of what, you know, what do you mean? You know, who, we're just, we're just your moms. We love everybody, you know, um, and still try to swallow that pill of this is 22, you know, this is 2022 and be compassionate in our own pain for her, you know, and explain to her that, you know, it's not this child's fault and, blah, blah, blah. So, and it, you know, it kind of really, to me, that's still showing God's grace and compassion in the face of. That really makes it, it makes sense of why you said we have to put ourselves aside sometimes, because definitely as parents, we do have to put aside our own pain for the moment. But I'm, I'm always looking for ways to insert ourselves back in the equation as well and to receive the self-compassion or the God-compassion that only spirit can give us while we're tending to someone else, mm -hmm. which is why I was challenging that, that statement just a little bit about how much we do have to empty, although I recognize your sentiment and I understand what you mean by putting yourself aside. Um, and I think why I honed in on that is because so many of us for so many years have put ourselves aside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in the in the service of serving something greater, mm -hmm. we've forgotten to put ourselves back in exactly to the to the place of compassion. Thank you for sharing that story, Christine. Was there something else that you wanted to add to the compassion part of that? Well, we're no last. I mean, last night we were very uh, conscious of Catherine at the award ceremony. Like, you know, are you okay? You know, because we don't know the dynamics now. You know, even with shoes at school. You know, people are making fun of her and bullying her. And she wore her, you know, rainbow vans. You know, 
So, you know, we go to school last night and Megan and I are like, ooh, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it all comes back to. Sometimes we get these this reality check that we're still living in Tulsa and Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, in the middle of the Bible Belt. Sometimes we get that reminder because we've created such a culture at House Church of Inclusion that it's hard to hear these right. stories of discrimination. Yeah. Thank you for I was just going to say real quick, too, the validation of feelings to me is one of the most beautiful acts of compassion that anybody can do. It's powerful. And especially when children are involved. Yeah. So I just I wanted to throw that in. Yes. All right. Yes. I agree with that. Um, go ahead, Norma. One of the t-shirts at Rayma distinguished sympathy from compassion in one of our classes. Um, and the guy said, Sympathy is this, oh, I'm sorry this happened to you. That's too bad. He said, compassion does this. Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Let me help you with it. Let me take the load. Let me give you this. And it involves, your, to me, it involves your entire being. Your money, your time, your heart, your effort. I know that working at a hospital, we can go the extra mile without having heart. And mm. people know that you're just doing it because it's part of your job. But we know the difference when a nurse says, you know, oh, I feel so bad for this family, but you know, I'm gonna do this or this or this. You sign the papers, you're with them, but you're actually present. Does that make sense? Mm. I, love that. I can't. I, I don't think that we can, at least in Kelly's, I don't think she can distinguish the professional from the personal because that's who she is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So yes. even if you tried not to have heart when you're signing those DNR papers or making funeral arrangements, because that's nice of Kelly, but no, it's not nice of Kelly. It's who Kelly is. She has the love of God. I think compassion is, um, and it, it has to incorporate the Father's love for the person. Mm. I love that, and you know, I, there's an there's an aspect of compassion because we we can reduce it to okay every form that human action takes. So it's in signing the death certificates. It's in signing the the mortgage, the, the loan for the mortgage. It's in signing the legislation into, into law that protects the rights of every human being. It is in creating sanctuary. It is in fun of friendship. It is in counseling and being with and support groups and all of the ways that we enact our vocations in the world. All of those can take on that air of compassion. But I think what also needs to be brought to this conversation is that compassion is the power appropriate to spirit. Do you think that in compassion we create an atmosphere? Oh, that's so beautifully said. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
because that's where like the word hospitality kind of fits it a little better because like Bible hospitality is some rich stuff. (laughs) Bible hospitality is not just, can I get you a bottle of water, but it's, can I give you my clothes and my bed and my food and my family members? (laughs) Bible hospitality goes the whole way, but anyway, go ahead, Heidi or Lucas. Lucas, go ahead. Um, so to me, compassion, all, all the things y'all said, but also when you're faced with a situation that you could easily, or maybe you do for a period of time, turn it into anger, bitterness, vengeance, and you choose love, grace, understanding. Um, I've My life has been layered with injustice and, and meanness from people that... I don't know people that I love, people that should have protected me. And I've had to grieve that and also step back and reevaluate, like, what kind of person do I want to be in this world? Like, what is my purpose? What what matters to me? What are my priorities? And as a Christian, obviously, I look at who God is, who Christ is, and who who does he call us to be. And the word is layered with being compassionate, forgive you know, and our nature is not to forgive. Our nature is to hold on to that offense and to make somebody else pay, right? An eye for an eye. And just as outrageous as the crucifixion is our need and capacity to forgive and to hold compassion. And so it's kind of like that saying the same boiling water that, that hardens an egg softens a potato. So I think part of it is just how we are like who we're what we're made of you know does it make better or bitter and part of its choice part of it is literally aligning ourselves with our mission and do we want to see people healed do we want there to be restoration in this individual's life that has hurt me that i could easily just say you know what screw you i'm done walk away Hope you get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like, you know what I mean? Um, And some would say rightfully so, but it's looking at that person through the eyes of God and saying, look, God still loves you. He still crafted you. I know that you're just reacting out of your own pain and suffering and your own ignorance and your own fear. And if I want to be a person full of love and grace and mercy, then I need to also look at you with those eyes. Doesn't mean that I put myself in the position to get constantly ran over right and nailed to a tree myself over and over because that's also compassion you've got to show yourself compassion like you were saying put yourself back in the equation but it's not letting yourself be consumed with anger and bitterness because that hardens your heart to to compassion and makes you not able to give compassion so i think we can give compassion from a distance without putting ourselves back in the mix because it's a condition of our heart and ultimately that shapes who we are and that puts that energy back in the atmosphere. So instead of putting anger towards this person, I'm putting love and compassion and understanding. And God, I pray that you'll bless them and someday turn their heart around to see mm-hmm. the world the way you do and the way that I do or whatever. And it's just a constant refining process. Just, when you said that, I, I, you kind of, you, you had me at the same boiling water that hardens an egg, softens a potato you you had me at that one I, I was like oh that can that we can just riff on that for a long time that was so beautiful beautifully said so it really gets the whole picture it gets all it's a picture's worth a thousand words you know it's like i got it 
when you said that. And also, um, and that, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, that hardness that we carry, it made me wonder if God's compassion toward us in our hardened state would help us relax and release enough to offer that same. I, I wonder if we have to receive compassion in our hard, resistant, nasty state, like the nastiest self that we could be. I wonder if that's really what that scripture means, that it's the goodness of God that leads us to a heart change. It's a, or the repentance, you know, is what it says, but that just means a heart change or a change of mind. It's the goodness of God that, that allows a new creation to be born within us. And the, the really recreating of the soul that has been snuffed out by suffering. That's what we're, that's really what we're trying to say, because we deal with people that are that are so traumatized. And all of us have even come from severe trauma. That what do you do with those parts of your soul that have completely been snuffed out? That's what I think that this writer is trying to help us see is that compassion might be the only power that could redeem those parts of a body. Um, go ahead, Norma or Eve, you have your, or Hank, you all have your hands up. I think you're still muted, honey, Eve. Honey, Eve. I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, just kind of to go off of what you just said there. Um, seeing if I can find a way to explain this. Um, compassion to me and the power of compassion is the rewriting of the whole story. It's to understand that we are the compassion of God. That's, that's actually our nature. That's who we are. So to have that rewritten, to understand that everything we feel everything we've done is our yearning toward compassion. And it might look like walling people off, or it might look like doing all those things that we think of as terrible, but they're really an attempt to be compassionate toward ourselves, which is what we intrinsically know we need first. And our methods are often what's the problem because we, for whatever reason, and I'm not saying I know what this reason is. We live in a world where we have this separation, where we have this erroneous idea that in order to love ourselves, we need to hate someone else. And mm -hmm. so in searching for our own compassion, we hate other people. And so if when we rewrite the story, we understand that that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to show compassion toward ourselves and we've been trying to love ourselves. But when we can, we can rewrite the story and understand that that's who we are and that that compassion is coming toward us, we can understand why we've done the things that we've done <clears throat> and let go of them at the same time. And so, and there is huge, huge, huge power 
and realizing that you are completely pure, that it is a real thing, that that's actually our, that's actually who we are, that, that our essence is the essence of God. And when you realize that you can be with someone in their pain, but also have that transcendent knowledge that the pain is not all there is. There is a, um, it's the resurrection and the crucifixion together at the same time. That's what, that's what compassion is. (laughs) 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 Eve. Man. (laughs) So. Yeah. Mike. Yes. Stop the recording. Drop the mic. (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah, because because it, it is. And that's what I think this writer is trying to say is that this is a power that recreates spirit it, it, it is a spirit it's a well well okay let's say it this way it is a spiritual power that recreates soul that recreates body that redeems the whole story mm-hmm. or in the way you said it it rewrites the whole story that's the power of forgiveness that stretches and does time like i often do in, in when we're in a church and i like stretch my arms out because it's a, it's a picture of the cross. It goes back in time and rewrites it and it goes forward in time and, and, and secures it. And I, I'm just so taken with that because that's why people are talking about compassion. Go ahead, Heidi. I think you had your, your hand up and I'm glad you're back. Me too. Thanks. Uh, when the blue sad face comes up on the screen, it's never a fun moment, but um, I, when I was thinking about your question, Hank, I thought about, um, last year when my sister was here with us, that um, was an act of compassion, not only for my sister and toward my sister, but also for myself. Um, As the end result was compassion toward myself, um, to be able to, I, I, I felt such compassion for her when she poloed me in such absolute distress in her life. And and just saying, I, I have to get out of here. She was in Arizona all by, by herself. She's been struggling with methamphetamine addiction for years and years and years. And she's just been literally living in a, a dark hole for most of her life. And um, I was so overwhelmed with compassion for her that I said to her, before I even realized what I was saying, I said, you just need to come here. Just come here. And she did. And the whole time she was here, I just kept thinking about how I wanted to show her a better way to have life by, by my own life's example, and also to help her get from where she was to a better place. And what you just said, Eve, it's the crucifixion and the resurrection like that. I totally see her when I see that, when I hear that, because she, a part of her died and now she's been resurrected to a new person. Her life is completely different now. And it's not because of what I did. I mean, all of that is God in her, whether she can recognize that yet or not. But I, I feel like 
that whole scenario was everything compassion ever means has ever meant to me, everything about that year. And then now the compassion for myself is that I am, I'm taking care of myself. Like I'm getting therapy and I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of self-care and I'm speaking up and I'm using my voice. And so somehow all of that um, brought me up to a higher place and now I'm having more compassion for myself. So it, it's just, there was a time a few months ago when I would have looked at that and thought, gosh, it was just so hard. And I would have stopped right there because that year was so incredibly hard. Um, but now I look at it and I'm like, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful story of two sisters who both have their own stuff, their own issues. And now life is different for both of them. Like we, we've both been resurrected in many different ways. Um, because the Holy Spirit helped me have such compassion for her that I just was like, I like, come here. We're going to make it. It's going to get better. We're going to do it. Let's do it together. And she's been clean and sober now for over a year. And she has a job that she she's making more money than she's ever made in her whole life. She has a car. She's got an identity. She's got a bank account. She's got, I mean, all the things that she's never had before because she came here and, and we, and it wasn't just me, it was Bonnie and it was all of our friends and it was the church. And it was, you know, it's everybody that is part of my life that was compassionate toward her. It will change a person's life. It will resurrect them. It really will. It's beautiful. Just beautiful. I mean, this whole idea about what is spirit and what is practical or what is spirit and what is flesh or what is material is the conversation but but it's it is pra it is practice it's praxis <laughs> it's counseling and being with and doing and signing the papers and doing the thing but it's also this power that does something inside of the human soul that only that power can do but it is exacted through us yeah it's exacted through people so we can be that conduit go ahead eve or or kelly Um, yeah, just Heidi, that's such a beautiful story. I just wanted to say it is the power in you, though, because you mentioned that it was in her, it, it, but it's the power in both of you because that's compassion brings forth oneness and realize that we are the same organism. Right. We, we have different. There, there is a that that's what it is. It's the power of recognizing we are the same thing. We are not the same thing. And yet we are. We're like mm -hmm. one of us is a heart cell and one of us is a liver cell. Um, but yeah. so there is this. It's an actual real power that yeah. comes from you that enabled her to do that. And it wasn't just the power in her, but it's both at the same time. And um, one thing that has really helped me in this in this journey is to realize that there is no such thing as a choice that's not compassion if we understand it correctly we can choose compassion for ourselves in the moment and compassion for ourselves will bear fruit in compassion for other people because we are the same organism or we can choose compassion for someone else in the moment and that will bear fruit for compassion in us because we are the same organism. We can't lose no matter what we choose. We can't, we can't lose. And it's rigged. <laughs> it's rigged. And it's, and it's, we, we live it's in this rigged. world where, yeah, we, we are in, we have this impression that everything is rigged for hell, but our, 
our renewal is to realize that everything is rigged completely differently. We can't choose something that is not compassion because we are the nature of God. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I, and I wanted to say that too, that I, I have for a long time felt that my nature was opposite of that, but now realize that because of who I am, because I'm created in the image of God, if I'm created in that image, then I'm also created in that nature, which means my nature is compassion. And so it's the circumstances and the things of life that have happened to us and around us that change that. And then we get it, it sort of veils what the actual nature that we have is. And that's why we then act in a different way. That's that's what I think. But our, when we can tap into the true nature of holy within us, then we're empowered to do things that we normally wouldn't do. I mean, that was for me, that was a really big thing to do to invite her here because I hadn't seen her in over. Well, I hadn't seen her since like 2012 and didn't have relationship with her. I had purposefully separated myself from her because of the lifestyle, because I wanted a different life. And then to just without any preparation, just bring us back together. Um, that was the nature of God. That was the compassion of God. That was the grace of God. A leap of faith for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Christine or Kelly. I think Kelly had her hand up next. Yeah, I was going to say, and Eve just kind of said it, you know, when compassion kind of goes both ways. Um, I, um, you know, I'm just thinking of what, my one of my closest long-term patients died this past year and most everybody knows that on the call but um that last week of her life um she had been we're not supposed to like have each other's numbers she had gone to a foster placement for a while that was one of my closest friends so i also had contact with her outside of the hospital and she had been texting me saying i'm dying i'm dying I need you to come see me. And I did not have permission from administration. There were some things that were happening from that level to go down there. So when I finally got a phone call, it was on a Wednesday um, to go down and see her. Um, I went down there. And so I already kind kind of knew. Um, but when I walked in the room, there were about seven people in there. And when I walked in the room, she started crying. And um, the other child life specialist said, why don't we give these two some time? And so everybody left. And so I sat next to her and I said, okay, tell me. And so, you know, we had this long conversation and she, she was 17, you know, about, um, you know, her fears. She was afraid to die. This was not fair. You know, all the, all the feelings were happening and, and, I, would, I just sat there and I was holding her hands and, and, you know, acknowledging all those feelings. Yes, this sucks. Yes, this is not fair. This is what I think heaven might look like for you. This is what I think Jesus might feel like when you get to touch him. You know, um, all, all those things were happening. It was a very intimate and beautiful, beautiful conversation. And then that brave, brave young lady at the at the very end before staff came back in, she said, Kelly, do you promise me that you will never 
forget me. And then I started crying and I said, oh, Mesa, I said, I, I said, all of us who work with kids have that one person that we will never, ever, ever, ever forget. And for me, that is you. In my career, you are the one. I said, you will go with me into every room that I meet, every child that I work with. The lessons that I have learned from your courage and your struggle will, will be with me for the rest of my life. And she, in that moment, gave me that biggest piece of compassion. And then in her typical 17-year-old fashion, she was like, okay, good. And I'm like, so, you know, tears dripping off my chin. I was like, you little stinker. And then the rest of the staff, came back in but like that compassion it's both like i love when amber kind of talks about things that are both and it's both and it's the it's the crucifixion and it's the resurrection just like what G, what uh eve said you know how hard is that here on this life but how beautiful these lessons that this child gave all of us who mm -hmm. worked with her um it just made me think of that. And Heidi's and what Heidi said about her sister, it's the same. It's both and it goes both ways and mm -hmm. it affects so much more than what we can see or think. Yes. Yes. Well said. Christine, go ahead. Um, ooh, okay. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. I probably should have put my hand back down, but um, I think too that, um, sometimes it's easier for us to give compassion for others than to receive it for ourselves. Well, yes. Say yeah. that again. Say that to everybody and make them all hear it. Yes, of course it is. Yes. Yeah. Say it again, Christy. Yeah. To yes. give compassion to others than to receive it for ourselves or even to understand it for ourselves. And I think once we can do that and, and believe me, I am, I am learning um, that once we can start, receiving the same compassion we give others. Um, and I'm, I'm one that I will give you, you know, um, 5,010%. Um, that's when we start um, the more intimate relationship with Jesus and feeling him more closely and walking with him more closely and um, just... I might, might this mean, might what you're saying actually be captured in this, the phrase of, of, of walking with the suffering of Christ, walking with the suffering of Jesus, because it is, it is the crucifixion and the resurrection. So we know that they, yes. the death is not the end of the story. Go ahead, Norma. You had your hand up. When Eve said it's both the crucifixion and the resurrection, I picture the cross. I do. I picture the cross. Say more it about was, that, Norma. Well, I was, my sin was nailed there, but I rose with him. Mm. I could say that I died with him, but I also rose with him. Does that make sense? Or am I way off? Oh, you're right, right on, on the... And the crucifix middle. I mean, you're right in the middle. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course you are. Go ahead, Eve. So first of all, thanks to everybody for helping answer my question. I feel a little bit more empowered and under understanding of, of how to impart 
compassion or be compassion for someone. So let me just tell you what I learned from you guys, from you beautiful people from house church. Um, when someone is in pain, if I am with them, I'm not them, but I'm with them, validate their feelings and help them rewrite their story. Help them rewrite, offer the help to rewrite the story. Recognize what is dying and what is being re resurrected and help them understand that what is intended to die is intended to die and the resurrection of that death is a resurrection into something that could never die again. Um, that being those things would allow that person to feel the compassion of God mm. in whatever situation. Mm, I think that's so beautiful, Hank. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Well said. I mean, that's well, you guys said it. I just put it together. I mean, this all came from you. I didn't have a freaking clue on what, what it was. So, so thank you for that. You, you did have a clue. That is not true. You had a clue and you just, in your masterful way of drawing people out, you did it again. And I think we all forgot that we were answering your question because we were so enraptured with our own, you know, feelings about it. Go ahead, Kelly. I was going to say that's a mic drop and that might be your Sunday sermon. That was all oh, thanks, Hank. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to take that summary with me all day long. I, I'm taking a lot of things with me all day long. I hope that this infuses every encounter that you have. I hope that this infuses every one of them because it's the praxis and the spirit. It's the spirit doing what only spirit can do inside the hearts of the people that we minister to and talk to. And then, but it's us showing up as the embodiment, as the embodiment of compassion. I, in the middle of the night, um, thinking about these things and meditating on compassion, um, it occurred to me that I might want to change my title um, from pastor to chief compassion op officer. <laughs> CCO, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that fun? Officer, I like it. Chief Compassion Officer, <laughs> you can you have my permission to use that in your workplace as well. You can definitely just go ahead and say yes. I'm part of the C-suite. I am a part <laughs> of that, and uh, and even if you are the CEO or the CFO or the CMO or the C whatever. You can also say, yeah, I might be the chief executive officer of this, but I am the chief compassion officer. Yeah, for sure. In everything that I do, because I want to be in cahoots with the power that changes all of us and rewrites the whole story. Yeah. Can I share something again really quick? Yeah, or more? yeah you, I was, uh, that was my fine. That was my big ending, Heidi, for the episode. Now we're still, we're dragging it on. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Never go mind. ahead. Go ahead, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> Hank, thank you for what you said, because in helping others rewrite their story, then we get to rewrite our story as well. But I wanted to share, I sent this scripture yesterday, and the whole time we've been talking, I've been thinking about it, and it's Ephesians 4, but it's from the Passion Translation, which you can't get anymore. So it says, meekness and tenderness are the fabric of your makeup. 
This enables you to show compassion, even in seemingly impossible situations, eagerly bearing with one another in an environment where love rules. That's beautiful. Ephesians 4.2. Mm, I love that. Thank you. And and what sticks out to me is being able to show compassion in seemingly impossible situations. Yeah. So God bless you as this word grows in you and you are your own chief compassion officer today.